3: Hello and welcome to the Eurostep Podcast Network post game three of Milwaukee and Brooklyn in the conference semifinals. Milwaukee Taking a W in this game, winning 86 to 83. I am your host, Rohan Kadi, and joining me from the Win in Six podcast is Adam McGee. Adam, how are you feeling after this game?
1: Oh, is that the worst win that I've ever seen? (laughs) I'm saying just one of the least convincing. What do the books have? 30 in the first quarter. So 56 over three quarters.
3: Just fantastic. It might be one of the most uninspiring wins in recent playoff history. We will delve into that. But first, I was not on the uh, post-game two podcast. I was uh, fortunately or unfortunately having internet issues and was unable to attend so it's weird. So I came into the series thinking that Milwaukee actually had a fighting chance and you wanted me to talk about how I feel about this series. Since yeah. I was not on I want, this game. I want hard. to hear,
1: I want, I want to know where are you at? Because I think you're not alone on that. We all came in pretty confident would be too strong, but optimistic that the books were really in this series. So for you, true two games, And then we'll play catch up because I think tonight gives us a lot of interesting stuff. Where were you?
3: Not great. (laughs) Not great. My entire take on the series can be summarized in the not great Bob gif. Uh, That's, that's how I feel about the Milwaukee Bucks so far. I thought you guys nailed it on the post game two pod, which is a fantastic listen. It's always fun listening to a podcast, like a Eurostep podcast network pod that I'm not on. Like it's an interesting experience. Uh, though I do miss when I'm not on the podcast, so I'm here now. I'm not feeling. I'm not feeling too great, and I'm pretty sure that's the general aura around this team, even after this win tonight, which was just an absolute tire fire of a game. Just especially in the second half, Milwaukee, like you said, thirty point first quarter, just absolutely comes out of the gates running, and you're like, oh, oh, they might be onto something here. Nope just completely falls apart. They just regress into their normal selves, their normal game two selves, where they're just not the Milwaukee Bucks that we've, I guess, come to know in this regular season and through the first series of this playoffs.
1: Even for all of the flaws, for the ups and downs over the last three years, you know, there's a lot here that is exactly what we've seen over that time and to a fault, but there are other elements of it that, I don't know, is the, the magnitude of this series against this Nets team and these players, is that doing something? There were some decisions being made tonight in a game that's just there for them. Your opponent isn't hitting shots, which is a gift against the Nets. You're not going to get that very often. You know, maybe once in a seven-game series, you could hope for that. They got that tonight, and still the books did almost everything in their power to give this game away. You know, the whole dynamics of the series could change. They could change very quickly. It really doesn't feel like they're going to. I think we can only be honest about this. The books are not in a very good place. Now, if Game 4 is a really good game, if you can kind of, you know, bottle up what they showed in the first quarter and put that together for... Well, you know, three quarters would be nice even. Maybe, maybe you can get somewhere where they can get this thing back to Brooklyn all square. But it's not close in terms of who the better team in this series is so far. It's not remotely close. If the books do somehow find a way to level this series up, it's going to be a lot of good fortune. And maybe that's just the kind of break you then got to go and take. But there's some weird stuff happening this just does not look like the books does not feel like the books. And I guess part of that is just what happens when you play the nets and you have to worry about everything they have to offer, but the books are very much off, off form, but just not really, not really reminiscent of what they've been at any point, particularly offensively. It's, it's trying to pinpoint there's moments the first quarter you're like, Oh, they're doing it. Yanis is, Screening for everything. He's rolling with purpose, and look at the easy shots they're getting. Look at the points just pile up. Then they just stopped, and Giannis takes eight trees in this game, Ron. Eight, and they were terrible. Like he made one, which you know is to be expected. Eventually, if you shoot often enough, one's going to go down. But most of these were really, really ugly the free throw shooting the 13 second count on his 10 second violation like all of this is really really bad and then maybe one of the most interesting things is the bucks did find a way they got a late kind of burst of offense burst would be overstating it in any other game but in this game it definitely applied as like a, a mega run where they they actually had a few possessions in a row where they scored points and they did that to Chris Middleton? I mean, Drew Holiday obviously came up with the biggest shot of all or the biggest bucket of all, but Chris was the one carrying them. And in all of that, Yanis was there, there off to the side. He was far from center stage, and that's a really fascinating wrinkle.
3: Yeah, you went into a lot there. Let's sort of break that down piece by piece. Let's be, let's be a little optimistic. Like, let's be a little happy here. At
1: they're, first. they're not down trio
3: no like they they won this game
1: so let's talk about
3: that first quarter that first quarter was absolutely beautiful at one point Mm -hmm. they had a 30 to 9 lead over the Brooklyn Nets which was just incredible like you mentioned Giannis was doing a lot of the dirty work he was setting screens he was rolling he was setting back screens which was nice that's a nice wrinkle that they sort of haven't really leaned on but probably should lean on more it looked good it looked really good, and that is a little bit inspiring because it shows that, I mean, we, we know this. You guys have talked about this. We've all talked about this. We know that this Milwaukee team is capable offensively of hanging with this Nets team. They just haven't shown it all series long, but we had one quarter. We had a good glimpse at it, which is good because this is still, it's a series. Like, it's a 2-1 yeah. series. Like, they're still in this. It's not like, oh, it, it, they're down 3-0. They're down 3-1. No, this is an NBA playoff series. It's seven games, first to four. It's a 2-1. Brooklyn still has the advantage. You know, Bucks still need to take back home court. They still need to win a game on the road. They need to take care of business at home first. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. But this is still a series, and that quarter was very, very inspiring. What was your biggest takeaway from that quarter?
1: It's tough now because there's so many things that were just flipped on their head as the game went on. So. For example, things that I was really kind of inspired by in the moment, one was just the purpose at which Giannis was playing and with which his teammates were were utilizing him on offense. So we were getting the kind of the best version of Giannis, something we've talked about a lot, getting him off the ball, getting him catching the ball with momentum, where he's throwing down ferocious dunks, they're easy points, you can't defend it. It's there for the books if you can get him the ball on the move. If even beyond that, I mean, there was ball movement there was multiple passes being strung together which is just something they haven't done in this series at all that was really positive something that i couldn't stop thinking about as the game went down one of the early kind of thoughts forming in my head in the first quarter was brooks looking really effective defensively tonight he just seemed to be pinpoint perfect position in the first quarter in the first quarter and really only in the first quarter had some blocks as the game went on, but Brooks defensive performance was just an absolute roller coaster. But in the first quarter, he was close enough where the the thing we talked about before the series, where his length was able to bother net shooters. He was close enough that they could feel pressure. He was still dropping. It was still on a spot where he was comfortable And it was really kind of walling off the paint. It was putting the books in good rebounding position where he could box out. But there were signs that, okay, he's there and he's contesting. As the game went on, that completely fell away and to the point where not only was he just staying too far back, but he was dropping way off Kevin Durant, who was just stepping into mid-range jumpers. So that's interesting. But those two things were like two really key wrinkles that I think from before the series, even we had highlighted, what you can do with those two guys and how those two guys are kind of just crucial in this particular matchup. And the books found the way to make it work and then they couldn't replicate it. So they're the big positives of the first quarter, but they do unfortunately come with, you know, the baggage of we know what came next and those things didn't necessarily carry over. At least it was a look at, okay, there is a path to these things working, but there were certainly other questions and maybe even bigger questions to follow it with. The performance over the following three quarters
3: i'm glad you mentioned brooke lopez's defense because i thought especially like as the game went on that was out of all the things you mentioned in that first quarter that was probably the most consistent thing throughout the game like he was constantly altering shots at the rim he ended up with six blocks tonight do you want to know the last time brooke lopez had six blocks in a game can you tell me like a wild guess
1: 2019 it's a little too far <laughs>
3: First game of the bubble, July 31st, 2020. Oh, okay. 2020. Bubble Brook. Yep. First, uh, what was that, a seating game? Is that what those were called?
1: Yeah, I think
3: so. Ah, oh, throwback to that. No one wants to remember that. But yeah, Brooke Lopez with six blocks. I know blocks aren't everything, but that's sort of showing what kind of presence he was having at the rim, especially on that last-ditch effort possession by the Nets where they were only down by what was it one point mm-hmm. and then Bruce Brown just absolutely fumbles the bag and just runs up Brooke Lopez. Brooke Lopez is there and he's deterring shots and even late in that fourth quarter he was deterring Bruce Brown floaters he was deterring, deterring Kyrie Irving floaters like that was probably the most consistent thing and Brooke has been like he's been good as strong good as yeah. a strong guard. But he's
1: inconsistent, been... is is the thing because he has been good. You know, there have been spells where he's been really good. I think part of the problem in this game is the books did nothing with him offensively, particularly inside. So that made his role pretty weird. The other interesting thing, like you mentioned, Bruce Brown, he did, he came some big plays on Bruce Brown. Bruce Brown cooked him in the second quarter, particularly. Like that's how the, the Nets found a foothold and got back into the game. And part of me wonders when you look at that pretty puzzling drive that, that brown has late in the game that ultimately gives the books a chance to win like does that just happen because he's like oh i've done this all game why not go again and this this time it worked out much closer really to what we would have expected all, all along but it was kind of an interesting detail because he'd got so much success kind of concerningly so a points earlier in the game that he looked up there and I guess it was, this is my big moment. Am I going to, am going to just take a moment? Am I going to say, where's Joe Harris? Where's Kevin Durant? Where's Kyrie Irving? No, I'm just going to head down and drive myself. That kind of sums up a lot of this game. This is a weird, like, just to be clear, this is a weird, weird game. This was one of the worst games I can remember watching just generally for quite some time. It
3: was just pain for me. Like, it was just straight right. pain. I was in a constant state of just mental and sometimes physical pain. Like, it just watching that basketball game, like, caused health problems for me.
1: Did you get any kind of release from the win, from the final buzzer? Because for me, the pain started once the lead went away in the second quarter. And I had kind of resigned myself, I've got to be honest, to... And the whole way through, I was resigned to the Nets are going to win this, until the Nets didn't win it, and I was kind of like, "Oh, okay, that's cool. Let's, yeah, like, let's do one again. again. It's two one, yeah. <laughs> but it's not. It wasn't anything like the kind of reaction that I've probably ever had before to the Bucks winning any playoff game, mm-hmm. which I think speaks to how they played. Still, what's left for them to do in this series, but just the quality of that game overall was uh, not good.
3: Yeah. Before we move on from Brooke Lopez, I just want to say, listening back to that uh, post-game two pod that you guys did, Ty had a take, he said on there, where he was like, I always believe that Brooke Lopez was a 16-game player. Ty, if you're listening to this, that was BS. You completely <laughs> took the papers. You read them. You even retracted that statement in the preview episode. So, Ty, I'm calling you out on here if you're listening to this. Just like, come on.
1: What you do you doing? think? You- do you think Ty listens when he's not on? Not that
3: Oh, he does. He Ever. 100%. He hundred oh, percent okay. does. Yeah. So that, that's especially for you, Ty. I, I just want to, I hope he only did that because I wasn't there to call him out on it while well, I'm calling you out on it now. Um, but yeah, let's talk about that lead sort of shrinking away. And that was in part due to Bruce Brown, who was just getting into the lane and hitting those floaters that you were mentioning earlier. They're just absolutely picking apart the bucks defense in that second quarter. He had like, what was it? Like eight points in like a solid, like three, four minute stretch there that sort of shrunk the lead from like 21 down to like, what was it like a six point game in the second quarter? Mm -hmm. And it was just an absolute meltdown from the Milwaukee bucks because they sort of descended into that isolation play that we've been talking about throughout the series. That just has not worked. They have just been trying to go shot for shot with the Brooklyn Nets, And that is why like, That's why they won this game because Brooklyn just could not buy a basket tonight. Brooklyn was doing their absolute best to not win this game. It was, it was absolutely incredible. Like Joe Harris is one of 11 from the field, one of seven from deep and he fouls out. Like It's just, you're not going to get these games very often and you win it by three. Kevin Durant, is shooting under 40% from the field, three of eight from three. Kyrie Irving is actually like shooting well out of the big three and he's, our big two, I should say. And he's just a shade under 41%, two of eight from three. Just Brooklyn was doing everything they could to not win the isolation battle tonight that Milwaukee has been trying to initiate for some reason. And Milwaukee still could not win that isolation battle. So if there's any lesson to be taken from this, it's that even at Brooklyn's worst in this sort of back and forth shot for shot play, Milwaukee still isn't winning that battle.
1: When you look at the box score, as I'm doing right now, if you just go down to like percentages and even totals and you're looking across, it's like, how did the books win this game? And I think the only reason they won this game is because the Nets are not getting to the free throw line. The Bucs are not making any free throws, but they're getting there often enough that they're just stealing the slight edge there. And in this case, that made all the difference. You know, 12 of 19 at the line, not very good. But if the Nets are going to go seven of eight, if they're only going to take eight free throws. That's, that's a big help. Because otherwise, I mean, you've got, okay, these numbers are, you know, viewer discretion advised. These are really ugly all around. Listener discretion, even. Um, the Nets shot 34 of 94. That's 36.2%. The books 34 of 90, 37.8%. From deep, the Nets 8 of 32, 25%. The books 6 of 31, 19.4%. At what point could the Bucs 3-point shooting just knock at worst? Maybe it's the point Yanis isn't taking trees, but that's probably for later. Um, and yeah, 12-19, 63% for the free trial line for the books. They did have the, the edge in rebounding, but again, as we've talked about earlier in the series, not by the kind of mega margin that they could have and that you would like to see. It was a fifty six fifty 50 advantage in the books' favor. Like, just a very weird game, and it's weird that the books came out on top. And yet, I mean, the Bucs led for the vast majority of this game. It was mid to late third quarter, I think, if even later when the Nets got their first lead. And you mentioned someone like Joe Harris, I think, late in the game, that possession where the Nets just kept getting more shots and more shots. They kept getting offensive rebounds. And Joe Harris had a wide, wide open mid-range jumper that he misses. I think Nick Claxton gets the board, goes out to Joe Harris behind the arc, wide, wide open, misses again. It's like, that's your lucky day. You've got to take advantage of it. The books just about did it, just about did it. I mean, one of the things in the second quarter that does concern me is first quarter was just, it was so positive, not even in terms of you know, some of the details we touched on individual performances and obviously on top of the books going and scoring 30 points, it was what they were holding the Nets to. and Nets scored 11 points. This is, you know, the greatest offensive team of all time as they've been dubbed. They've You know, this has been...
3: I, I mean, 17-18 Warriors would have an argument there, but...
1: I think, to be fair, the books aren't getting that first enough because Harden isn't yeah. there. True. But... It's it's not something I'm saying is definitively true. I'm saying I've seen it out there. There was that uh, New York Times, Sam Anderson piece on mm-hmm. Kevin Durant from a week ago, which, which obviously played into that too. But you're holding them to 11 points. Great. You've got so many things working. Fantastic. You come out in the second quarter and you just stop doing so much of it. And in that first quarter, one of the biggest things was I kept waiting. I'm waiting, I'm waiting. I'm like, when's Bud going to pull Giannis? When's Bud going to pull Chris? How long are they going to be on the bench for? And it was late, really late when he, when he pulled Giannis and they weren't on the bench for very long. I mean, Giannis played 43 minutes, Chris played 44. That was a big deal. And you go through all of that and you're like, oh, hey, that's the that's sign of progress. And then like second quarter, the offense just disappeared as in, the actual kind of structure to the offense. Forget about the the results, which were about as ugly as they could be. The structure, the ideas behind it, everything that was so good in the first quarter, they just really abandoned and never, never got back to it at all. Like, not even close to it. Giannis is a big part in that, and Giannis started this game so unbelievably well. It's one of the weirdest performances I can remember him having in quite some time. Like. 33 points on 31 shots, considering the other trees he took, considering the free throws he missed. Not bad, zoomed out, but the story of that game, having watched it, is something very, very different. And I don't know, like, to pivot to Giannis, is there an answer to this, Ron? Is there a way that he goes through this series? Let's say the books find something, and this goes on for a while longer. Let's be somewhat wishful, somewhat optimistic.
3: They did win a game. They're in the series. They did. Let's, let's, they're in the let's series. Be a little.
1: You're going to more be more jovial. optimistic than me, but we'll we'll go with it, right? They're they're in the series. They've won a game. Is there going to be a way for Giannis not to just, I don't know, go through some sort of nightmare at the free throw line that's just incredibly uncomfortable to watch? not just like from a book's perspective where you're like every point matters here and there's a lot being left there but also just from watching someone try to work through this the 13 second count that's that's really tough and I don't know about you I've always had in my head and I think we talked about this when I talked about game one we we even talked about it in the, the heat series the idea of the count helping them and oh the fans they just count really fast so it's never it's never actually at the 11 12 count as it sounds in the arena turns out you put a stopwatch on it it might be because i didn't think that was 13 seconds live i was thinking of going getting a stopwatch up on my phone and actually timing it espn eventually did that for us and like it wasn't close if that had been let go, what was it going to be? 16 seconds before he got the shot off.
3: It's, did you see what Jay Williams said about it? No, I didn't. Uh, so he, it, what did he say? He said the world record for the hundred meter dash could be completed in uh, Giannis's free throw time under Giannis's free throw time, which is true and very disappointing, honestly. Uh because like, I've always been like, you know, I'm, I'm a Giannis supporter, right? Like, yeah, we all this are. This is, this is, this is getting a little much. Yeah. <laughs> this is, this is a little too much, man. Like you can't shorten it a little bit. Like this summer, if he comes back next year with this massive of a free throw routine, I don't, I don't know. Cause he changes it every off season anyway. So might as well just, you know, shorten it up a little bit. I We've seen some- in
1: season, right? We've seen him yeah. in season, just a random game. You'll be like all of a sudden, oh, now it's two bounces and he's straight into it. Like this has happened before and he has some success. Then it will cool off and he goes back to one or the other. But like the book is out there on this now. There is just, there is no coming back from it. Like he's never going to get away with this. If anything, he may end up getting called for some early as this goes on because everyone it's going to be watching out for it.
3: Yeah, I thought Jeff Van Gundy actually had a good point on the broadcast where he was talking about, like, if you're going to call it in the playoffs, like, just call it during the regular season so he has time to adjust for it. Like, that's that's actually a good thing. Like, he didn't really get called for it in the regular season at all, or maybe one time.
1: I remember late. I can't remember who it was against, but there was a game very late in the regular season. So he's had some form coming into the playoffs so where this is definitely getting more deliberate.
3: Yeah. So at least call it like it is. So you have to adjust to it. So you realistically have to, and this is just, this is a great point. Let's just, this is the honest conversation. Let's have the honest conversation. Let's do it. So I noticed in the late third quarter, early fourth quarter down the stretch where Chris was just sort of going and getting buckets. Like Giannis was just like pleading in the lane, like pass me the ball, pass me the ball. And Chris didn't pass it to him. When they were dribbling up the court, Giannis was taking it off of an inbound and sort of dribbling it up. Mike Budenholzer was yelling at him, like, give it to Drew, give it to Chris. And so he just passes it behind him. This has turned into, we, we talk a lot about Giannis, like, oh, isolating at the top of the key, going one on five, like, oh, why are you putting him in this situation? I'm at that point now where it's not anyone putting in him in that situation. It's Giannis doing it to himself. It really is at this point because you can see that his teammates don't want him to do it. You can see that the coaching staff doesn't want him to do it. And you can see if he's like actually going with the coaching staff, they are taking the ball out of his hands in these sort of situations. And that leads to a much broader conversation about Giannis in general. So how do you want to take this?
1: I love how you set it up. and then you've left it for me to take the lead on it, but I look, we finished off a very gloomy post game two episode, and we did kind of dip our toe in the water of a conversation that is not new, a conversation that has been in the background. I think certainly takes place more from the, the neutral observers around the league than it necessarily has the books fans, but just the idea of what if Giannis can't be the number one guy. On the championship team. That's not down to what he can do and what he can't do. As much as maybe it's down to style. Like, it is down to what he can't do too. If he was better at free throws, it's a lot of this just doesn't matter. You know, if you could just trust, oh well, if he goes down there, he's gonna get felled and he's gonna make us free throws, that's fine. That's not the case. And with that, his decision making has to be really good. We've seen times where his decision-making is great and you'll get by a lot of those falls and he can be the guy to lead the team in crunch time and make the decisions. And even if it is, he's going to be making purposeful passes to teammates, he can do that. This was, this was bad. This was as bad as Giannis' decision-making has been in years of the books. And I mean, he has his moments. It's not necessarily the strongest element of his game. But all of those three pointers—that is a as many a point as Kevin where... Durant
3: and Kyrie Irving. Each what Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Giannis all attempted eight threes.
1: So those three pointers. What do you think is the reason he's taking those threes?
3: He's trying to be Kevin Durant. Realistically, like he's trying to go shot for shot. That's why this team is sort of delving into isolation. Brooklyn is luring them into that battle, and that's what they do against teams they say okay let's make this a one on one battle and we'll win this because yeah. we have some of the best isolation players to ever play a game. game of basketball mm-hmm. and we will win this battle every time and they are proving that they will win that battle every single time giannis is getting lured into that trap he really is he's taking the bait from brooklyn and he's like okay i'm going to i it's my turn to make these type of shots you can't you're not going to do it you were o of 6 and then you made one And then you attempted another one that you missed. Like you're one of eight and your only make comes in the fourth quarter. Like these are important possessions. Like my goodness, read the room. These possessions are the difference between games. Like this is a three-point game. Like if any of those possessions, if those seven other possessions, like where he missed a three was like a Chris Middleton jumper or a Drew Holiday floater, that's more efficient. Anything. Or even get like Giannis, literally Giannis doing anything else. Like, do take a mid-ranger. Like, if you're gonna shoot, like shoot inside the arc, where you at least have a higher percentage of making it based right. on your own career path, or at least drive to the rim, try and get a foul. Because mm. even though you're even though you're a terrible this is my free concern. No, this you're is a my terrible concern. free throw shooter, but you're better at that than you are from deep. <laughs> like you're you shot 12 and a half percent. From deep tonight, and yet you're shooting 44% from the free throw line. That's awful, but it's better than the three-pointers.
1: This is my concern, Ron. You just take a minute there, right? (laughs) I don't think you're wrong. I think there's certainly an element, and we we've seen this in the games against the Nets, once with great success, where just you know, one of those nights where the long balls dropping from he made plenty, he made big shots. So, yeah, I think there is an element of I want to get involved in this kind of mano-a-mano, one-upmanship. I want to prove I can beat you at your game, which I love you, Giannis. You cannot beat Kevin Durant at his game. My concern is that it that may be a factor, but I can't say with any level of confidence that he didn't lean back and lean on his not even mediocre three-point shooting because he was just having a a disastrous night at the line that the violation didn't get in his head. And then all of a sudden, he's not looking to drive. He's settling. And you're right, he could settle for a mid-range shot and he has a much, much better chance at scoring from there. But look at the success he had in driving. I mean, the other thing is, Blake Griffin was let off the hook because of this, because Blake had three fouls, in the second quarter they use a challenge which i thought was pretty bold to use the challenge on that i'm like really you're using the challenge on blake's third foul but they're obviously concerned about okay if he ends up out of the game if he's got three fouls now and giannis is playing like this what happens what happens is you lose the challenge but by the time he c- comes back in giannis is only shooting jumpers so he doesn't get another foul for the rest of the game like that's that's a big big missed opportunity And that also has to play into that's just game management and that's basketball intelligence. Where even if Giannis is struggling at the line, let's say he's having his worst night at the free throw line. If every single attempt is painful for us to watch, we're watching through kind of through our fingers, which this is basically how it is anyway. But let's just imagine that that's how it is you're still racking up fouls on Nets defenders. You're still moving your team closer toward being in the penalty where good free throw shooters like Chris Milton or Drew Holiday could then be more aggressive themselves in driving. Get some easy looks, get some easy points. That's something that I, I just don't know if the team first mindset was there from him tonight, no matter what the kind of Calculations where that led him to the decision he was going to take a three pointers, and like he was really going to keep going when it was so clear. This is it's just the bad.
3: definition of insanity.
1: It's the early shot clock too. It's very. Like I
3: saw. I saw tweets saying like, "Why? Why is Giannis taking ten seconds at the free throw line when he's taking pull up threes five seconds into the shot clock?"
1: Like, I wonder, is there any? The Numbers probably aren't up yet. I wonder, did he take any with like less than 10 seconds on the shot clock? I really don't think it would have come close.
3: No, I I can't remember any of them. I, I
1: I would say they're all first eight to ten seconds of the shot clock. Um it's concerning. And <laughs> it's concerning because as you as you've stressed and as you, you want me to get on board with, they've won a game, they're in a series. We're gonna we're gonna be upbeat about this, but they need Giannis to be a lot better than this. And the better than this, one of the interesting things, right? And I think it's also for as much as the books kind of strayed from the path that was working to start the second quarter. The other thing is they scored 30 first quarter points. Yana scored 15. Chris scored 15. <laughs> that sounds great. You know, your two stars have finally come to play. At some point, maybe get some other guys some points too. Though.
3: Literally anyone. Like, that, that's why I, they combine for 68
1: inc- points and you only end up with 86 points it's because it's like you know just get someone I, the player who i actually thought looked most likely had something going had some confidence was bobby portis tonight i was like okay i can't believe i'm saying this you know season's on the line here but give bobby portis the ball so someone else can score just get someone else some points you can't do this just the two of you. You've got to carry the bulk of it, sure, but you can't do it just the two of you. Now, Drew struggled again. That is also problematic. He showed his commitment to Milwaukee with a four fourteen um a four one four line, but you've gotta get someone else. And maybe something we should have talked about sooner, because it was something that for the moment I saw this evening, I was like, "hmm, don't like this." Is that Bud stuck with the same starting lineup and PJ Tucker started? I really, really cannot believe that. I cannot believe it. Because for as much as you know, it's not surprising if Bud doesn't make certain changes, he has changed lineups. It is something he's done, and it just seems so obvious. Now, maybe maybe that's changed slightly because they're gonna feel like PJ Tucker's got something on the rant now. I don't I don't think so um the whole security guard altercation and all of that yeah what was really that like
3: that was that was a wild sequence well first off so that was a net security guard right who yes just comes... he was in
1: black and the yeah and he, had, blue, he had, so and he had blue
3: so and he had nets the nets logo on it too right so i wasn't sure if that was someone with the team or like a security personnel um yeah just a weird situation overall where pj tucker and kevin durant are just jawing at each other you know classic nba fights uh, and then this guy just comes in and just shoves PJ
1: Tucker. It's like, whoa, <laughs> what's going on here? Like, then, that could end up bad, you know? You just catch a guy off balance, he falls over, you know? That's not great. Uh, pretty, so you're escalating approach. the
3: situation that yeah. you're trying to dismiss for some reason. Uh, but yeah, hopefully that situation gets sorted by security personnel because that was just absolutely egregious. But yeah, the starting lineup, uh, was a little interesting. If we want to uh, switch to a little bit of the gamesmanship here, sticking with PJ Tucker, I think it's fine. I think it's all right. It's not ideal because my next option up would probably be Bryn Forbes, who is just getting targeted every single time he was on the court, like Kyrie Irving. Whenever he's also Bryn not Forbes, making
1: shots this year. yes,
3: exactly. Like he's shooting well below his season averages and just like what he did in the Miami series, and. It's just not great. Like, a 4 tonight, all four shots from deep, and it's just – it wasn't great. Like, if, if Bryn Forbes isn't hitting his threes, like, he's serving no value out there because in terms of gravity, the Nets don't really get affected by that, by the way they switch their defenses around. It's just – I don't know. Like, PJ's fine. Maybe Pat could slide in. Like, he played some solid minutes tonight. It wasn't the prettiest thing I've ever seen in my life, but it was no.
1: serviceable. It never is, let's be let's be honest. It's, I I think the one concern, works. right? They've scored 86 points in back-to-back games.
3: Yeah, like that's funny to me. Like they get blown up by 39 and score 86 points, and then <laughs> uh today they score 86 points and win the game. Like that's just that is the most bucks thing I have ever seen in my entire life. And this series is showing me a lot of bucksy things.
1: Oh, it's very bucksy It's getting it's much more booksy than I honestly imagined. I thought for better or worse this Like this has got to be a
3: troll, right? Like they're just actively trying to hurt us at this point.
1: Yeah, I think always. It's safe to assume that's always the case. I just don't see how you can go with PJ Tucker again when you see what's happened to the offense with him starting in this series. I guess the counter that you could make, I I wouldn't put it down as being a particularly strong argument is that, oh, look, the defense is much better. The Nets only scored eighty three points. This was a horrendous shooting night for the Nets, you know, aside from any kind of impact. there were there were moments of good defense. There was also some pretty bad books defense that went unpunished. So I think that's that's a pretty tricky area to kind of to make an argument hinging on that would be would be tough. Brian Forbes, if he had something going like he had against the Heat, I think that's an easy call. I still think you may, and I'm just going to say at some point, but it's still very much now or never in this series. You may need to go to Forbes. You may need to go to Bobby Portis as a starter because you just need points. And for all of the other ways in which that might not be your ideal, you're just not going to get away with not scoring 120. Like, let's be honest, the books are... 30 plus points off what they're going to need to be doing to be just in the mix with the Nets on an average night. Like, that's such a big problem. And it's such a big gap that they have to make up right now.
3: Yeah. Like, you mentioned Bobby Portis earlier as a guy who should have an offensive impact. And he does. Like, he's two or three from the field. He immediately comes in and gets points when that lead from the first quarter is like slipping away and like becoming like, oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, So, Bobby Portis comes in just. He's gonna get just absolutely filleted, and he sure. has been absolutely filleted. Like, sure, that may be schematic in some respects. Because why on earth would you ever drop a KD pick and roll? Like, that's just asking for death. Like, just served on a silver platter. Like, the, you're asking, like, you're DMing the Grim Reaper your address. <laughs> like, hey, come on over. My parents aren't home. Uh, Grim Reaper.
1: Don't call him Sam Reaper. We don't. Want that.
3: <laughs> it's that is a fantastic nickname. It's one of it the best names of all
1: time. Uh, Only Kevin Durant would be like, no, whatever you do, don't call me that objectively great nickname.
3: Yes, but just you're asking for bad things when you're dropping a KD pick and roll and you're asking Bobby Portis to switch on to KD. You know what? Like, why not? Why not? He's faster than PJ Tucker.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: What's the worst that could happen? I mean, like he's going to score. Like he's already scoring. Yeah, and I'm again, you know, for people who want to keep the the optimistic energy, the I've co- to I don't know, table, I've right? completely you, lost. You've fallen off, off the- pretty hard. I've
3: gone off the. I'm I've tweeted forced. that I'm going to have a mental breakdown <laughs> on the pod. I'm like, I'm almost there. I'm almost there.
1: Uh, it might have happened ten minutes ago. Who could tell? The uh, screaming that, about free throws. I hope people weren't like cycling or something you know something that could be dangerous during the pod they may not still be cycling if they were cycling when that section started but you know the books are going to lose to the Nets as this series is playing out if it continues to play out the way it is if they don't find something if they don't change the whole dynamics of the series they're going to lose and they will probably lose in five games because they were very lucky to get this one so you've just got to try something because you're losing as things stand either way. And, you know, as the series goes on, are you, are you going to get more likely anyway? Like, it's possible. It's possible we could see James Harden back. If the books get to, you know, if the books get to a point where they're like, oh, now we're really in this series, just, just watch, like, uh, a very notable chip come into play for the Nets. That's oh yeah, that's former league with.
3: MVP, just you know, yeah. uh, casual uh walking triple double, walking 50 point triple double. Like, even
1: yeah. like not not obviously anywhere near as important as Harden, but isn't Jeff Green like not a million miles off too?
3: Yeah, he was initially slated to be like there was a chance he could have even played game one, but I think it's a little more difficult because you have a plantar fascia injury. And those are always very, very difficult to come back from, but who knows this, like these series take time, especially in the later rounds. Cause there's more time off in between games. Yeah. James Harden, Jeff Green, like they could bring those guys back. If this series gets a little out of hand. And I know you mentioned this on, I can't remember which post game it was. Whereas like, if, James Harden is in the game, like the Bucs play differently and the Bucs might actually like match up better against that because the Brooklyn Nets offense isn't as like sort of ping, ping basketball passes Mm -hmm. here and there and like sort of moving around, like flow offense, like given it, it it will be much more explosive. It has the potential to be exponentially better than what it currently is, which is just absolutely wild to me. Uh, But it does have a floor that the Bucs can necessarily like, they can hang with that they can really hang with that because the ball sort of stops a little bit more. And I, that sounds like an indictment on Harden. And like no one who listens to this pod thinks of me as like a Harden defender or anything, but that's not, that's not an indictment on Harden. That's just, that's just the truth. That's what happens when you have three alphas up. there. It's,
1: it's one ball and tree of the greatest, you know, on ball players of all time, you know, it's, it's as simple as that. What we talk about, what we want Giannis to do, it's really the exact opposite of what those three guys need to do. Like Durant, I know he wasn't that efficient tonight, but he is just having a series. Like he he's having the a playoffs. only basketball
3: player. Uh, like that just genuinely scares me. <laughs> it's,
1: it's it's just wildly impressive the stuff he, is... he pulls off and how smooth it is. Like none of this is new. This is also the thing that fascinates me. We've been watching him do this for years. And yet it's still like is more it's and more impressive with it's each a pass different year, era, particularly though, post-injury, because, too.
3: Yeah, post-injury and post-warriors, because the Warriors mm-hmm. were just sort of an anomaly of just sports in general. Like Durant was doing all this, but it was just sort of minimized because he was like with Steph Curry with Clay Thompson and in that Warriors offense. Like that's sort of minimized it a little bit. Like he he was doing these sort of things, but now it's like it's him and it's Kyrie and it's sort of like it's kd running the show fully like fully there's no stuff there there's no clay to like go on a just absolute hellfire reign of terror that clay thompson can do get well soon clay it's just it's kd against the world and usually kd is winning that battle and we're seeing that it's playing his way
1: right too yes. that's that's the other thing like i mean there was so much talk about how he had to fit in with the Warriors and how you know he did that pretty well. He's Kevin Durant. Of course he did and he could and he was perfectly skilled for that. But we all knew it wasn't what he wanted to do or what he wanted to be and there's a there's a much better chance for him to be that here. And yeah, the books are getting a really up close look at it. I mean, on Tucker and on the starting spot, the other interesting wrinkle here is it was essentially, essentially oh, I'm going to get to that. We're There's no one here to supervise us, Rohan. So there's a player that you and I are going to talk about uh, in a moment. Ty's not here. Jordan's not here. Jordan would probably be on board with it too. Um, But essentially the books went with an eight-man rotation. It is getting shorter and shorter. They don't really have anywhere left to go. Like At what point is it going to be a seven-man rotation or a six-man rotation? That's the point it's getting to. Uh, a little concerning when there is a possibility the Nets could could get stronger as the series goes on. The book ha- the books have no such look. But I said essentially an eight-man rotation because it wasn't strictly an eight-man rotation. Because we got like 20 seconds, 20 25
3: seconds? is what's listed on NBA stats. 25 man, glorious the hit, seconds. The legend, the Nasus at Akumbo. That was fun. That was a lot yeah. of fun. That was he the was most fun
1: moment of the game. Uh, certainly post first quarter. There was nothing that came in. close to it.
3: He gets subbed in, immediately just gets a block on a pull-up jumper, then just screams at the crowd, and everyone just goes wild. Like there's usually a cap to what can happen in 25 seconds in an NBA basketball game. The Noss is just you absolutely destroy that level. Like he single-handedly, like, tur- he can turn the energy of a game in 25 seconds. 25 seconds. Because he brings what no one else on that- this team can do, aside from maybe Dante, who's injured, in just frenetic energy. And aside from just frenetic energy, just, like, actual, like, defensive versatility. Like, that's actually something that he can bring to the floor. He's a very, very, very smart defender. They are drastically missing that ever since Dante's been out. That injury is much more important than I probably believed it to be at the time. I was, I, I thought it would be very important, but I did not believe it would be this important. The Gnosis is the only guy left who can sort of replicate that role. Like, he's not going to be as dynamic of an offensive player as Dante
1: is like that well give,
3: I mean yeah Dante hasn't really been hitting his threes at all so the isn't really missing any there the thing is the won't take threes unless he's the starting point guard at t- that was a fun game uh <laughs> it's is just... that the
1: adjustment for game four
3: you know what why not
1: let's you know <laughs> Drew's having a tough time let's hand the keys over to Nasus this is your show I mean, the one, I love Tanasos. first and foremost. I love Tanasos. One, he's so much fun. Two, I do think there's a real place for him, not just this series, in the playoffs, playoff basketball. When I talk with 16-game players, you know, this is, this is a postseason player because... Look at he, what Bruce Brown is doing. Yeah. And, and, like, just imagine Bruce Brown, but 100 times more irritating for opponents
3: and like, we'll literally go fight you.
1: That is, that is the biggest asset that Tanasis has, is that everyone he comes up against, they hate his guts within seconds. Now, the problem if the books were to give Tanasis some more run is I don't know if Tanasis would make it beyond like six minutes without falling out, particularly in as just kind of, as worked up as he clearly is for playoff basketball. And with all the work he's doing on the sidelines, you know, um, Bango's assistant, that by the time he gets into a game, I'd be a little concerned about how he'd channel it. But you know what? Maybe we could find some more 25-second spurts. Maybe this is the secret. Uh, but just finds here and there a spot to come in. In all seriousness, there is there is something there. There is something there. It's flying way too close to the sun. But again, I don't know if the books have anything to lose by that. If you're not getting anything from Bryn Forbes in terms of his offense, then the defense isn't there to do that. You've got to look at some different things. And particularly if Giannis is off the floor, I don't really see a reason why not to just have a look. You know, if you need to go with the quick hook, if it really doesn't work, you go with the quick hook. But I I think there's something there that's worth trying. And he's shown that, I mean, over the last... Two months. Do we want to say like late in regular season when he has got opportunities, he's shown something, and he's really, I think, to his credit, progressed a lot in the time since he signed for the books. Where the assumption was just that like there's just no chance this guy ever seeing the floor. He's purely here because of Giannis. Like we're under no illusions. Yeah, he is here because of Giannis, but he has made himself into someone who. When he does take to the floor, he can make an impact. And he can set the tone for the team in a way that no one else can. I mean, PJ came close because he got the crowd into it in a different way, um, after he started Jong with KD, but that's that's it, really. Like, you know, you're not other than that. It's you're looking for some Giannis Dunks, maybe a blook uh, a blook, a brook block um uh, could could do that too, but you just don't have too many kind of energizer players and at this point i mean game four you're at home you need to win this is your chance you know you've got that you've got a crowd around you've got a crowd the books had close to a full house cheering them on and it, you know in a game as tight and as ugly as this it may well have made the difference moments like that, thanasis uh, play are proof of that so yeah i think Official Eurostep Podcast Network endorsement, right? Everyone's agreed for Tenassus to play upwards of 25 minutes in game four.
3: I think we can officially declare that. Uh, (laughs) Everyone here is the one that has votes. So it's you and me. So it's unanimous. Um, But I I was joking, obviously, when I was talking about him being like a starting point guard. Though that, again, that was such a fun game. Um, But... Yeah. Like he definitely does have a role in the series. He can have a role in the series because like he's someone who will actually move on offense as well. Like we're seeing a lot of just like lulls that we've been talking about over and over again, where it's just like the bucks are just going to isolation play. And if there's one action, the other three guys aren't moving around at all. The Gnosis will move. The Gnosis will cut him and Pat Connaughton. Are like the yeah. only two uh- players on the floor who will cut and cut hard Bobby will do a lot of relocating on shots but he won't like hard cut and hard like just get the defense like oh shoot we have to worry about this now the Nasus can provide that Pat can provide that Pat has his own issues like again it's serviceable it's not the prettiest thing but it it works in the aggregate like I know like the Nasus playing probably isn't like the most popular opinion within like Bucks cognoscenti, but like it's just it's, it can work. It really can.
1: Rowan, you are books cognoscenti. You know <laughs> I, do... like I have to tell Jordan this kind of thing all the time, and be like, "You're you're a part of that." Um,
3: I'm saying so it's not like a, you it's can a, make it's it popular. What I'm pop. saying
1: we we could start a movement. No, look, the these are not the best options. Like we're we're not we're not fools. We're aware that Tanasa Santurkupa is not the guy that you're like, you know all-time great team, three future Hall of Famers, two only on the floor at the moment. Under pressure, not playing well, you know, you just got to dial up Tenassus and ride her down hip. We're not saying that. We might like to say that, but we, we know that isn't the actual solution to just go all in with that. But the books don't have a whole lot of options here. And they've got to, they've got to do something. <laughs> like, they really don't. You can't now isn't the time to just kind of clutch straws about some of the inadequacies of the roster or I guess the the spot that they've been left in, which is a pretty tough one with Dante's injury. Like the biggest thing with Dante is just being down a man is killing this team, being down a playable player for all of his flaws and for everything he could do. He's a guy who could have been on the floor for major minutes in this series. Being without him is a problem because you're then trying to find anyone, anyone, else who can do that and there aren't a whole lot of them you took the words out of my mouth earlier because that is with pat for all of his flaws maybe the biggest thing in his favor if you would say there's a case for him to maybe start if the books are looking for more offense it's not about oh pat is going to bring you more offense it's pat Connaughton and the way he plays may just promote greater ball movement greater player movement He's and you get more motion into your offense. Exactly. And that is, that is something that they desperately need. When they move the ball and they moved around in the first quarter, things are great. It stopped again. You see what happens. And then you are relying on ISO. And even late in the game, I mean, ISO really got them over the line. You, we got some from Chris, but Chris is one of the only guys on the team where you can kind of be like, yeah, okay, if he's playing well and he's feeling it he's got a case, you know, he can go and he can, he can have his looks there, but it is, it's really tough. It's really, really tough. You look at the books, bench options. They just need to find something else. There's very little there. And the fact that even got into this game to make that play is, is showing something. It's showing that Bud's brain is it's halfway there. You know, this is
3: wait, wait, before you go any further, I will say, what was his name? I forgot his name already. Someone saw minutes in the bubble postseason against the Heat. It was Frank Mason.
1: Oh, Frank minutes. Mason. Frank Mason played um, quite a bit. In the like, playoffs? Late late in the season, not in the playoffs. He did play, though. I, I like Frank Mason a lot. Um, Frank Mason. He saw late. a
3: solid one minute and 40 seconds in a loss to the Heat and 25 seconds in a loss to the Magic. So before you go say but Bud's brain is doing this like you've seen this before.
1: <laughs> I mean, I think Frank Mesa might be more useful to Jeff Teague if Frank Mesa was in that spot right now.
3: God, that's depressing.
1: I, I think it's the truth, though, and that's there for everyone to see, and Teague uh, logging DMP CDs, it's just there's, there's just not a spot for him in the series, and that's even with drew struggling like he is and just know other. like it is amazing that there's just nothing in terms of ball handling nothing the books can go to off the bench
3: it's the same story like you mentioned on the last pod it is the same story of this there's milwaukee it. bucks fence it's just always going to be lacking ball handling you guys were talking about like you're they're looking for a george hill uh yeah. but like an aggressive george hill i've been trying to think of a name that would fit that that's not austin rivers and i'm very i'm coming up with blanks here
1: yeah i, I DJ really. Augustine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, remember
3: him everyone he was on the team this year
1: yeah the idea of dj augustine uh would definitely help but as we found out pretty quickly the idea of dj augustine what he was giving a practice would you rather dj brave.
3: augustine or this jeff t i
1: mean Teague is without doubt the answer in terms of you don't have to worry about a contract that's pretty painful for the next few years. And you've you already created a, of throw flexibility. a Try out contracts, DJ Augustine. I think you just probably more of him as an NBA player is still there. I, I said, still think if the Bucs did this, the Bucs should not do this. If the Bucs really went you know, deep with Jeff Teague in one of these games, there's a Jeff Teague playoff game in the good way there. There may not be enough games left. Um, you may not have enough games to burn to get to the Jeff Teague playoff game, but if we could have like 50 playoff games, you know, Jeff Teague playing in all of them, one of those games would be the Jeff Teague game. I think you're taking the Giannis
3: three-point shooting approach to this Jeff Teague game sort of thing. If you have a high enough volume, some of them... It's Jeff
1: Teague taking it, not me.
3: (laughs) Okay, so what we're sort of teetering around is: What do you want to see from the Milwaukee Bucks in game four, which will not be the last game of the series. The Bucks will oh, not uh. get swept. I'm, You know what? Like, I again, I've completely fallen off the optimism trade as this pod has gone on. My mind is so, slowly devolving here in real time. I'm just happy. Like, I'm happy they're not going to get
1: swept. I'm so happy. Like... I, I I can't go with that. I honestly can't, because I'll always know that this was how they avoided it. If they don't win another game in this series, if this is it, a game that I've already described as one of the worst games I can remember seeing as, you know, maybe the most to win has felt like a loss. This is, This is as ugly as it gets. If they could get one good win, I think that would be something very different. But I mean to zoom out a little bit i don't want to do really much of or any of this because we did quite a lot of this post game too as we were having our own moments in front of the microphone at that time you you're playing catch up today we already kind of had to go through some of that in the last episode but how the books play from here how this series unfolds and if they show any resistance and any reason to believe you know this team can hang with the nets if this is what the east is for the next few years like that is essential and these players might want to book up their ideas because if you want to be a part of that and you feel like this is something that can work you've got it you're gonna to have to prove it you may lose this series but you're gonna to have to really prove it you're gonna to have to put in some good performances win or lose the rest of the way in that there there can be some belief that yeah for some of the ugly moments early in this series, there is a path to this version of the books or something close to it competing with this version of the Nets in the years to come. Because if if not, you've got massive questions around everyone. And I I actually mean everyone because Giannis isn't going to get traded, but you would have massive questions around Giannis' role in terms of what he would do, who would need to be with him. Just, you know, how do you make that work? Many years into his career, I haven't seen many different looks at it. The questions would be at a level we haven't had before. And if you want to avoid some of that and give reason to believe and give reason that this whole thing can kind of stay on the road for another year, you're going to have to show something. And for me, when it's like, what are we looking for in game four? Just watch the tape of the first quarter. Watch the tape of the first quarter. I think this was a question that it might have been just pre-game. It was... Mixed in in some sort of dialogue between the ESPN commentators and who was the reporter? something I can't remember.
3: Um, was it Lisa yeah. Saunders? It was Lisa. Yep.
1: Um, there was basically the retelling of you know what? What do you do? It was put to bud. What do you do after a game like Game Two? Did you you know? Did you watch the film? Was Cry. that all you were focused on, or did you just you throw that out and you forget it? And his answer was, it was a bit of both for preparation for game four. Just get rid of everything that is in the first quarter because the first quarter is for as much as that was you know, unsustainably bad from the nets. The first quarter is the key. It's has all the ingredients to the books, making this a series hanging around, you know, and first and foremost winning game four that, that is all they can worry about. Maybe they win game four. (laughs) in an incredibly ugly fashion again if that happens you know i might be able to muster up some optimism because we be like hey it's level and they haven't had a good game yet but and they, i've seen uh, i've seen
3: comparisons to uh i think it was ben thompson who said uh this this sort of reminds him of the uh game three double overtime against toronto where toronto just sort of like gritted out like a nasty nasty victory in which the Bucks were just, like, really, like, giving it away.
1: I, I would love a reverse of that series. Uh, I would love to be on the right side of that. I did tweet this. I don't, don't know how you felt about this, too. That um, Nets fumbled inbound play with the game on the line late, that was my favorite moment of the game, even more than Thanasis' beautiful moment, because it, it was literally that's the pass, and it's even it's where the pass has gone that the Bucks twice late in the season at least twice happened.
3: yeah it was the one against phoenix that was. That the one against the phoenix was,
1: was the first and it was the worst and um, but it was not the last time we'd seen that and just seeing another team do that late in the game was such a joyous and kind of cathartic experience i was like yes Someone are in the back. That's how that it feels. Too. That's how it feels. The Bucks just won a game because someone else couldn't connect and couldn't even come close with an inbounds pass late in the game. So that was a nice moment. Um, yeah.
3: You weren't the only one who felt that. Uh, shout out to Keith Keskinen on Twitter who said, uh, who tweeted at me and said it's nice to see another team fail to execute in late game situations against the Bucs for once.
1: So this and is in just... exactly the Bucks kind of way. Yes.
3: Yes, they the Nets were boxing tonight, while the Bucks were also boxing.
1: So it's never, just never never books either. It's I mean it's it's not advisable to you know book things up particularly late in the game.
3: Yeah, just go to uh, Adam's Twitter profile at AdamMcGee11, by the way, and just just look at his pin tweet, and that's just that's just it. So uh, I'll the... read it for everyone who doesn't disregard everything I said about the Bucks being bad a week ago. Then next week, disregard me, disregarding that. Repeat pattern until crazy. Guess what? Here I am.
1: The thing to do with that tweet, because I did it, that tweet got repinned um, only the other day, post game two. It was my pin tweet for uh, multiple years. Then it wasn't. The thing to do it was to go to the quote tweets, which are like eighty percent me. And look at the dates at just the times where I was going back and forth at moments where I was like, you know, it's safe to unpin this. And then times where I'm like, no, I have to pin this again. It has now happened so many times. Um, It's uh, people were getting a kick out of the date of that tweet being 2017. Honestly, it doesn't feel like it was that long ago, but yes, this is, this is what we've all signed up for. This is, this is life with the Milwaukee Bucks.
3: It really is. We will all, at some point, just jump ship. Just be completely insane. Like I might already be there. I'm struggling (laughs) right now. You have more resolve than I do right now. In terms of what I want to see going into Game Four, I completely didn't even answer my own question. Uh, (laughs) Like I, it's hard to disagree with you. You have to just burn all the tape except for that first quarter. Port. I will say, I feel bad for Mike Boonehoser a little bit. Looking at him, he looks like the epitome of stress.
1: Like, my guy oh, has not slept in, like, five That minutes. interview, I, I was thinking that. I was like, it's the most disheveled he's looked. And there are times where Bud looks pretty disheveled. But, yeah, it, it's it's tough right now, which I can imagine. And it should be tough, but it's really tough. You can see it on his face. And I doubt he's the only coach on the staff who's feeling that at the moment.
3: Yeah. So, just burn all the tape aside from the first quarter get Giannis in better positioning whether that's you have to force Giannis to get into better positioning because he is his own villain in his own story right now which I like that's that's a deep thing to say but like, it, it might be true right now he is the key to unlocking himself in this situations if it really is him putting himself in bad positions like he's you just the only
1: person knock- who stopped himself from getting like 45 tonight
3: yeah realistically yeah he really is if he just had like those seven miss forget even the one he made just take out all of those threes and well, just. well let's not forget it on. too
1: much because we'd be in overtime if we forgot it completely but yes that's not it's not justification for it because it was lucky and it's lucky at a night where you're just shooting and like you was shooting it's lucky to do that but yeah your point stands
3: Yeah, so you just got to do everything else to avoid these sort of situations. Drew Holiday needs to just—I don't know—does he need to fight the ghost of whatever Bucks point guard started this all, or just—I don't know what it is. (laughs) Like if he can't fight the curse, I don't know who can.
1: It's it's got—it's going back to the nineties where the Bucks had a not like not talentless collection of point guards, but a pretty weird collection of point guards, none of which worked out. And yeah, I mean. We all know how that's continued there's, there's for some, quite a long time.
3: There's some ghost that just the spirit just takes. Uh, Jordan whatever, always said point that, card.
1: that this was Bradley Center related, you know, that the Bradley Center was a cursed place, that there must have been some sort of ancient burial ground that are needed. And the books were just they were prisoners of this, this curse. And now they have moved on although not very far away, and maybe they're just still in close enough proximity. Maybe
3: when Drew Holiday like comes to the game, or whatever point guard comes to the game, they like take a specific route that like goes over wherever the cursed area is. So they just need to avoid that section of road when they're going to the arena or the practice facility. So they can yeah. just—they need like Drew Holiday and the story needs to fight the ghost. Like he, I, I'm obviously kidding around here, but he's not been great the series at all his defense has been up and down today was a little more up in terms of off ball awareness because there was really no other way to go besides up for drew holiday uh from games one and two to now uh his on ball defense is getting a little bit better but my goodness the offense still isn't there like he hits that bucket that's the ultimately ends up being the game winner but other like he's still four or 14 from the field one of four from three and just not shooting well at all. So that needs to improve. Like, I don't know what else to say to that besides Drew Holiday be Drew Holiday. because well, we know
1: I've got an he, idea. He I'm curious what you think. Do you think he's just finding it hard to find his rhythm and find his spots? Because Giannis and Chris had 56 shots between them and this one. All of those threes Giannis is taking, you know, they're possessions that could be going through Drew Holiday's hands. Giannis could be the screener. You could be doing something entirely different with those possessions. Like, for as that that again is where, for as good as that first quarter was, the fact that your points were coming entirely from Giannis and Chris, you should be looking to get Drew involved, and I would be prepared to put quite a bit of money down, um, on the opening play of Game Four being drawn specifically for Drew Holiday, because Do you that's have really,
3: money on that play. Just
1: kidding. Uh, no, and. You know, don't reach out to me looking to take that wage or anyone because, you know, it's probably best I don't take it just to be safe. But I'm very confident is what I'm saying. Um, that's what they did with Chris. That's what they did with Chris. It's really a Bud staple too. Like there's lots of times when Brooke has been through some really rough patches over, over the last year or so, I guess, where they'll often draw something up to get Brooke a look. Early on, I think Drew is going to get the first the first shot of game four. And with the way he's playing, maybe how all of that goes, you know, could dictate what kind of game he has. But I do think this, to me, maybe you disagree. I think this might be one of the toughest games he's had as a book in terms of figuring out where he fits in and just getting his opportunity to play his game and to make things better for Chris and Giannis, because particularly the game with Tom, both of those guys, um, for better in one's case and for worse in the others, were leaning more into playing isolation basketball. And there's just not, not as much for Drew to do. And it, it is interesting. I just even think in the playoffs generally, some of the most memorable Drew plays have come either in transition or kind of semi-transition. It's, it's when he just gets a bit of open floor and he breaks out some really nice spins and he comes up. He had that really acrobatic layup against the Heat as well. I mean, he's not getting anything out of set offense. And I think that's something that that goes back to maybe Giannis and his decision-making. You know, if, if you're purely in on how do we get the best performance from the team, how do we get the best results from the team, that is probably the kind of situation where, as the team leader, you should be saying, I've got to find ways to get Drew more involved. How can I get more out of my game? He get more out of his game by working together. And the thing with that is it's not even complicated. Like anyone could come up with the solution for that. It's really the key to unlocking Giannis, maybe unlocking Drew as well. You know, you'll get the best of both of them if you can just actually work through and work out exactly how they should be playing together.
3: Yeah, it's just the most perplexing thing about it. Is that we've seen throughout the season that Drew Holiday, he's just been a maestro at picking his own spots. Like he's mm-hmm. not going to go somewhere. Like he's not a player that's just going to be shooting uh, throughout the entire game, like, oh, this is my moment, like the entire time. Even though if he really wanted to, he's probably capable of doing so. But he's not like a Kyrie Irving. He's not like a Steph Curry. He's more reserved in terms of how he picks his offense. It's very calculated, which is why, again, this is so perplexing is that he's picking and choosing his spots. Like, he he will have those sort of moments that you mentioned. It's just, they're just not falling. And it's hard to attribute this to, like, just poor shooting because it's easy to do so, and you probably can a little bit because he's missing shots that he's normally capable of necessarily making. It's just, like, how this goes in the flow of the game. Right. I thought that was a great point by you saying like Giannis and Chris taking 56 shots and like Drew, like, how do you how do you fit into that? Like, I think I just saw a stat that ESPN had pointed out that Chris and uh, Giannis scoring 79.1 percent of their team's points in a playoff game is the highest by a duo in playoff history. History. Like, I don't know if you're Drew Holiday, how are you supposed to fit into that? realistically because like the game is just flowing between those two and that goes to that goes back to what i was trying to say earlier and that they're falling into the nets trap like the nets trap is just like okay katie and Kyrie, like you cook and our axillary pieces will just sort of like flow along with that the bucks are just going with okay Giannis and chris you guys go and cook our axillary pieces are not fitting into that because that's an entirely different conversation in terms of uh the, the roster construction but Drew Holiday needs to be a little more aggressive in that regard. He needs to establish himself like, hey, this isn't a two-man show. This is a three-man show. And if it is even a two-man show, I showed throughout the regular season that I might be the number two. Realistically, like he was playing like the number two for a majority of the season.
1: If he's the number two in this series, though, in Coach Bowman's, dare I say it, who's he number two? (laughs)
3: Two <laughs> right now, Chris Middleton.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's the thing, and that's the that's the complication in it for the Bucks. And it's part of it's not the first year you've seen it, it's part of why they crashed out last year was when things get weird with that, and obviously Yannis's injury then pushed all that along, but it was something they would have had to deal with if Janice had stayed healthy against the heat last year. Is what do you do when your best player, the guy you rely on so much, all of a sudden is being pushed way, way down the pecking order because of his own flaws, because of the approach of the opposing team, because it's really kind of just the key kind of driving point of their game plan. And there is still an element of the books wrestling with that. I mean, for a player, I mean, Drew is so much more capable, he's so much more talented than Eric Bledsoe. But that just has to be Something that as a player you've got to adjust to when you spend all season and you're looking alongside you and you're like, here's Giannis. Giannis is gonna do this, he's gonna do this, and he's gonna do this, and that's gonna mean this for a team. All of a sudden the playoffs are there, and it's it's different. And that goes from small details to really the the most significant things about how the books are playing these games at the moment. It's it's a tricky balance, but I I just think Janos and Chris it's great they both found something in this game it would be better if Janos stuck with what he found and then tried to find some other stuff but they've got to be very conscious to begin game four you know you've got to get your involved but there's just look I'm open I'm open to being wrong on this and if I'm wrong and the book somehow win game four by again scoring 86 points well, we'll just all we'll all go along with it because hey, the series would be level and the books will have all the momentum if you can gain momentum by only scoring eighty-six points in a game.
3: If they score eighty-six points again, I might cry live on pot. Like well, I win, might just I still <laughs> might. I still might. They won this game. And look how I am. If
1: yeah, they win it, next it, game score eighty six points. It didn't feel Like good. I just really I
3: might actually be on the brink. Like like
1: I don't. Did you see? Um, did you see the rumblings coming from a certain books owner tonight? Have you seen?
3: No, I did not.
1: Uh, one, Mr. Aaron Rodgers. Oh, no. <laughs> just, I thought you, this might just be what you needed, you know, to cap okay. off your night. Uh, no, he's, he's tweeting out W's. Clearly, oh. you know, his. Any beef he has, it does not extend to the team that he holds an ownership stake in, the Milwaukee Bucks. So things are weird, you know? Things are things are very, very weird. And but Aaron Rodgers is happy. He enjoyed that. it is a possible thing. Do you, think, enjoy do you it. think
3: Aaron Rodgers was like, I know they didn't show him, but do you think he was like secretly at the Bucks game? Like, because I know Aaron Jones and Zadarius Smith were there from the Packers. Like, if Aaron Rodgers was there and just not no, showing they were, up to They were the in his camp. seats,
1: I think, is probably why. No,
3: like, no, no. What if you just showed up, like, he's just, like, wearing, like, a baseball oh, cap? Oh, it's, and, like, it's
1: a... like the year where a kid looked like he was in disguise at Summer League. I don't know if you yes! remember this. Yes, <laughs> I do. He had, like, a black zip up top and a black cap really low. I've got a great, great picture of it on my phone that I still use every now and then. If anyone wants, just get in touch and I'll, I'll send it to you. You'll get the joke then. Uh, that's how jokes work, right? Um, but yeah, maybe, maybe he was there in disguise.
3: That would be awesome. Imagine if, like, actually, no, maybe not. Uh, with fans and how they're acting, yeah, great. maybe <laughs> uh,
1: it it wouldn't be great. Um, considering recent NBA fan behavior, yeah. too. I mean, yeah,
3: the Bucks fans, please. If you're listening to this and you're at, like going to games, don't do anything dumb. You've, you haven't done anything dumb. Like, you didn't do anything dumb this game, except for, like, the FKD chant, which yeah, is really that's, weird.
1: Yeah, that's something that I saw a lot of people, like, reporters tweeting about, as if that was the worst thing. And I'm honestly balled over. Does that not happen? It, like, like, it happens every game. Like,
3: the yeah, Knicks, I, like I, the, where was this energy when the Knicks fans were sh- uh, chanting F-Trey Young? Like,
1: is it just, like, this kind of... Um, generalization this expectation you know we're in the Midwest or in Wisconsin they're going to be very polite <laughs> it's going to be there's going to be the Midwestern charm and warmth there is this so when, when Bucks fans take that kind of tack as opposed to Knicks fans all of a sudden everyone oh, we're up in arms if I, Knicks
3: fans do it it's MSG is back if Bucks fans do it it's Sixers the, fans the of worst. course yeah. known
1: for like strong batteries like come on I, I don't think there's any um i thought they were s- chanting bald kd at first <laughs> did they chant okc at some point as well no i th-
3: i don't think they did i think that was the same chant the okay I, I was chant.
1: hearing it as okc at one point i think i think, like, I think some pretty, people heard it there as well
3: because that would be better honestly that's a
1: better mm-hmm. chant I, I, I really yeah but that's yeah don't don't do anything stupid to echo your points it feels it seems like some people feel like it's too late for that but i, I honestly that surprised me because i was like this is just what no, happens just, like in just every don't, game don't do anything
3: like it, it's simple you just don't be an idiot that's my that's my advice to that also uh,
1: applies to any security personnel who happen to find themselves in yeah. the you know for these games yeah, yeah.
3: Just don't do anything stupid. Don't escalate anything. Don't, don't not even escalate. Don't make something out of nothing (laughs) realistically in this situation. Uh, So just to quickly recap this podcast here, first quarter, good. Uh, Bucks win a lot of bad, not feeling great.
1: Not feeling great. Do you think they win game four?
3: Yes. So they can lose in even more heartbreaking fashion.
1: My gut really strongly says they do not win game four and that this is probably it. My heart is saying different things as just horrendously ugly as this game was. I would just take any kind of win to then actually build up that hope. You know, I'm prepared, Rohan, to take the heartbreak full on of, you know, them giving me real hope again of getting me all the way back invested where I feel like you know this is real. I believe again only for it to fall flat. I would quite like that because at the moment I still feel a, a little would be kind. I feel pretty resigned to this was just sort of a, a stay of execution. And they just about managed to to get that over the line.
3: Yes, that is fair. That that is sort of how I'm feeling as well. I just I have the smallest it's not <sighs> glimmer of hope is maybe a little strong even though that's like a bare minimum <laughs> but it's just like again KD Kyrie Joe Harris they're not going to shoot that badly again right I said that oh. after game 1 and the bucks like in terms of the bucks and the bucks came out there they did it again in game 2 and some of them they did it again in game 3 one of them has got to regress eventually one of them has to regress otherwise the universe is just broken like entropy does not exist anymore <laughs> it's just like the laws of physics isaac newton is just like he he, he maybe he's the ghost that's just isaac Newton
1: is the yes. ghost of books point guards you heard it here first this is i i am now starting to worry from i i'm worried about what's what's going on in his mind there's just all these different strands of you know, things are just coming out now. Isaac Newton is the ghost of Bucks past. Um, Drew Holiday
3: just needs to fight Isaac Newton one on one, and that's how he can win this battle, and that's there, how the Bucks can
1: win. This. There is something to cling to for for yes. those who are optimists, and you know, really want to plow along with that. And if if you're somehow feeling good, I one, I admire you, and that's good. Try to hold on to that. Let
3: me know how you're staying sane. Like, just that's
1: that stuff. Yeah, that's. We may need... I need some advice. For, for Rohan. But if you're taking that approach to this, the logic of, you know, eventually the books have to play well. <laughs> Just once, by accident even, they might play well. And if they do, that could be a win. I, I think that's not entirely unreasonable now that they have got some foothold in this series. Whether it happens in the next game, when it actually needs to, that's that's the question, because otherwise, th- this is going to be over. Yeah, yeah.
3: That's that's sort of how I feel about this. If it happens in game four, then you're talking. If it happens in game five, like it doesn't it's even Im- matter. It is impossible
1: point. to come back from 3 one against this team.
3: Like, yeah, it's just like... You're not gonna get a LeBron moment. I'm sorry. Like that's that's why that moment was so special because it never happens unless mm-hmm. like they're, and they're not even playing the Clippers in this matchup, so that's not even gonna happen. Maybe they're playing Clippers East. That's an interesting comparison.
1: Look, I, I've said all along. I've said this from way back in the regular season. This Nets team can break. Yeah. If you if you actually test them. If you test their mental fortitude, I think there's stuff there that you'll, you'll be pleasantly surprised to find. That's why I wish they could have followed the first quarter up with a second quarter. that was even half as good just to see what kind of disarray it could, you know, seed among the nets. The fact that they didn't do that at all. And this was a close game. I don't think it really leaves a dent in the nets. They just come out and go again. If the books can find a big performance, if they could do that in game four, level this up, and all of a sudden the Nets are the ones asking questions, the Nets are under pressure looking to defend whole court, then the whole thing is turned on its head, and what seemed completely implausible is then very much plausible. But there's a bit of work to be done to get there, and a bit is, you know, the understatement of the season.
3: Yeah. Maybe we will get a game in this series where both teams play well and we actually get, like, a good game. Uh, that would be nice, wouldn't it? In don't
1: don't wish for too much.
3: <laughs> like, I mean, this was a close game. It was not a good game at all. Uh, maybe we'll get a good close game. I know just as a basketball fan, that would be incredible. Uh, as a Bucks like follower, that would be good for the heart, uh, for my mental status. Uh, just just come on, please uh, help me out here. Um, give, me a, give me a score prediction for game four on Sunday. And Sunday matinee game
1: uh books 86 let's <laughs> see <laughs> I, I, I don't even have a net score i just all i know is the books are going to score 86 points
3: actually i might counter to that maybe it's a palindrome and they're going to score 107 so they go 107 86 86 107
1: but that would be better whether it's enough i don't know but yeah let's go with that i i prefer that line of thinking.
3: Okay, I'll go Bucks 107, Nets 106.
1: I I mean I I just I can't I can't come on here and lie and betray my my brain, which at the moment is just it's it's a Nets win in in game four. I think close. I, close? I don't think the Bucks will get blown out at home. Like Tonight is kind of a testament to that because for as good as the start was, that was gone by the second quarter and they played so bad for so long. And even when the Nets took the lead, late as it was, you know, they could have just rolled off and that could have been it. But the Bucks just found a way to stick there. It'll be like that for the home games. So I think close, but I I do think Nets by maybe six to eight points.
3: Six to eight points. Okay, that's fair. That's a close game. So that is on Sunday at two o'clock Central, I believe. I'm pretty sure I'm right there. Yes, uh, I know you're a big fan of that. Very game.
1: excited for that. <laughs> uh,
3: I mean, I don't mind. Like it's it's a nice afternoon game it gets that gets the pain with uh, over with quickly. Uh, <laughs> it be I'll nice. be 100
1: Maybe... sharper. People people won't even recognize my voice for that <laughs> podcast.
3: <laughs> it'll it'll be a good time. We will have a post game pod as usual as we have been. So I will say thank you for listening to this Eurostep win in six crossover here on the Eurostep podcast network, still part of the Blue Wire family. If you did enjoy the show, make sure to leave a rating on Apple or wherever you can. Make sure you're subscribed on your podcast platform of choice. Check out all of the content across the Blue Wire podcast network. Stay safe, everyone. Go Bucks. Give me mental tips, please, because I need them. And we will talk to you next time.
4: Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance.